mean, I always had sort of an entrepreneurial inkling, um, and um, it's it's pretty random that I ended up in the food space because I've never really had much of a culinary background. But uh, but I've always had an interest in building a product, building a brand, um, and 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 building sort of a movement around that product. Every business, whether or not they realize it, is an idea business. The people at Gray have a long history of creating famously effective ideas. And so, with Gray Matter, we explore the ideas shaping our world. We ask creative minds from all corners of life how they came up with their best ideas. And that's what matters for Gray Matter. Hey everyone, I hope you're ready to hear about two of the most vital resources for innovation today, startups and caffeine. I'm John Petrolis, Worldwide Chief Creative Officer at Gray. And for this episode of the Gray Matter Podcast, we have Gray Global Planning Director Holly Williams interviewing founder of Flight Bar, Aaron Canari. For a little background, Flight Bar is a vegan, caffeinated protein bar that couples 12 grams of plant-based protein with as much caffeine as a cup of coffee, the ultimate one-two punch. Aaron was not new to the entrepreneurial world, having founded and co-founded two businesses previously, but Flight Bar was his first excursion into the culinary space. I love how he arrived at his idea, so I won't spoil it. But after a lot of failed recipe testing with his food processor and random plant ingredients in his kitchen, Aaron launched Flight Bar in 2018. Today, we'll hear from Aaron about how traveling, riding a bike, or reading biographies of some of the greatest thinkers can help stimulate your next idea, how making small, achievable changes in your daily life can add up to something bigger, and why the energy of the entrepreneur can ultimately lead to what makes or breaks a new company. This is Aaron Canari. So originally, I was going every morning to my local cafe and buying a iced coffee and a protein bar. I was getting a kind bar usually. And I was like spending like six or seven bucks on these. And I thought to myself, you know, I could probably merge these and sell them for half the price and make them even a little bit more healthy or satisfying. This was right around the time that like direct to consumer brands were really starting to take off, especially some of the food brands in the subscription space. And so I thought, you know, particularly with coffee, it's such a habitual activity for folks where they're drinking a cup of coffee or oftentimes more than a cup every day. And so I thought this catered well to a subscription space. So I started just sort of playing around with this concept of could I make a bar that had coffee or some sort of source of caffeine in it and just started really honestly just googling uh, and like looking around a bit Uh, first I bought a food processor and bought a bunch of random ingredients that I found online and mixed them all in the food processor and like the first batch actually came out pretty well Um, and I just kept tweaking it a bit and then ultimately found a co-packer to help me produce it. Tell me a little bit more about what was going on in your life at the time that kind of influenced some of the other decisions that you made around the product beyond a protein bar and a coffee coming together. Yeah. So I had just gotten back. I had spent a couple of years traveling. And when I left New York, when I was in New York, I wasn't really taking good care of my own personal health. Um, I had done pretty well uh, in my professional life, but like personally, I had somewhat suffered a bit and like had gotten just to a low point in my health. And so when I left, uh, one thing that I started to do was just sort of small changes I was making in my own personal health, and it ultimately led to me losing about 50 pounds. And that interest in health and wellness, I think, fueled some of my initial uh, excitement and interest in Flight Bar. And so I started looking at you know nutrition, and I could tell, you could just feel like if I had something that wasn't necessarily healthy for breakfast or something like a, you know, a bagel or something that's like a little bit more heavy on the calories or the sugar, like the rest of my day suffered from that. You know, I would have that afternoon slump, or I 
I would, you know, be hungry later uh, on. So when I started looking at a lot of the protein bars on the market, um, which were the things that I was eating regularly, like I'd grab one on the way to a class, uh, workout class or on the way to the gym, a lot of them just didn't really sit well with me, to be honest. Like either they were all natural, but they had a lot of sugar in the bar or they were pretty good on the nutrition label, but they were, had a lot of some artificial ingredients and none of them really digested that well, I felt. So I just, yeah, started exploring that space a bit more and, um, and got really into it and got really into just into nutrition in general. And I could see sort of the impact of that, um, you know, just having more clarity in my thought process, um, having more energy to tackle various endeavors, more energy in a meeting. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was just really exploring that space a bit more and, and, and then, and then again, diving into it and starting to make them myself. In those early stages, what were the things that you sort of found inspiring or had sparks of ideas from? Yeah. I mean, it's not specific necessarily to flight, but generally whenever I'm in a spot where I'm brainstorming or trying to find inspiration, I find traveling to be such a source of new ideas and creative sparks. I read this book a couple of years ago called Geography of Genius. It's an interesting book. It looks at like cities and throughout history and that have been sort of hotbeds of new ideas. But one thing the author talks about is the importance of, of schema disruption. So basically having some new form of stimulus that's like outside of your daily routines. So whenever I'm looking for some new idea or sort of a brainstorm, I find that like going to a place that it, it doesn't have to be that far away, but just getting out of my normal day to day and going to some a new place often drives those new ideas. I think there's something about, you know, when we're in the city, you know, we kind of know the streets we're walking on and you see it. I mean, people are walking around on their cell phones and they're totally just tuned in and they're just, tuned out of the sort of what's around them and just tuned into something else. You can't really do that when you're traveling or wandering around a new city. You kind of have to be attentive and, and present. And I think there's something about that activity that helps you to both absorb the stimuli around you and then that sort of sets off neurons or some sort of sparks in your brain to help drive new ideas. So whenever I'm in like a new place, I'm just observing and, and, and just sort of in a state of, I love like spending the first day in a new city, just wandering the city with no idea of where I'm going necessarily and just absorbing it that way and finding a new cafe or coffee shop. So this actually, when I was in the early days of uh, flight, this was actually that first trip to New Zealand, um, I was brainstorming. I didn't have a a name picked out. And so I was trying to think about a name. And one of my first companies was called Aviator Media. And something about that sort of sense of adventure and risk-taking and elevation uh, in the name, I think, just always sort of stuck with me. And so I was I sort of jotted down a bunch of names around uh, like elevation or different kinds of like uh, flight-related names. And I remember I was in New Zealand. I was in um, first, it was uh, Queenstown, we're in the airport, and there's a place called Espresso, which is like this coffee bar in an airport. And then I was in Wellington, and they had a place called The Hangar. And I'm like, this is so weird that like I'm thinking about these airline-related names right. and like places like this keep popping up. And it kind of felt like it was like a sign. But again, it was just this like the, these new places, places I wouldn't have gone had I been just in you know I would have gone to my normal coffee shop in in any sort of like city where I lived, but like checking out these new places and exploring it, I think kind of helped drive that creative process forward. Yeah. And so what about when you're, so I mean, that's like an awesome story around when you're sort of reaching to far flung places yeah. to find inspiration. What about on an, you know, an average week in New York, you're in a rut, you need to kind of, kind of, you know, take your head out of the sand a little bit. What do you do in the city to get the, the same effect, but yeah. on a smaller scale? Um, sometimes I have a bike and I love going on bike rides, like on the West side or on central park. Again, I think there's some element of like the, the focus that riding a bike around New York city requires that you're able to shut off all the other sort of things that are happening in the background and just kind of 
something about tuning out or something, you know, like re resetting your computer almost in, in your head. Um, I also find like if I'm ever in a creative rut, it often corresponds with when I'm not doing as much reading. Um, something about, you know, just, and I'm, and I'm talking about like reading, I, I love reading magazines, um, because you get these profiles about lots of different things. Um, I also love reading like autobiographies or biographies about different people. Cause you learn about the, not only the person, but the industry or the time period that they're in. And I often find like, if I feel like I can't come up with a new creative idea, it's often associated with times that I've like, I've been a little bit burned out and I'm like working, like doing a lot of things, but it's also associated often with, I haven't been reading as much. Um, and I, I don't know what that connection is. I'm sure there's some sort of scientific backing, but like whenever I'm reading articles or, or reading regularly, I feel like my creative flow is a lot more present. I mean, it's interesting to hear how you get sources of inspiration for flight from lots of different places. What's been sort of most inspiring for you in bringing the flight idea to life, the flight bars idea to life? Yeah, just seeing you know, uh, every once in a while, a couple times a week, actually, I'll have like friends who will say just yesterday, a friend who is just getting into running uh, sent me like a screenshot of his uh, little running app. And he was like, ran further than I ever run before. And he's like attributing it to having the flight bar before. And I'm like, dude, I don't want to take credit for this. But that's awesome. Uh, so just seeing like the impact, because we say, you know, the slogan is fuel to fly and fly is somewhat metaphorical. It could mean like, you know, running a little bit longer in that marathon. It could be, you know, crushing that podcast interview or, the, you know, the big meeting that you have. It can, you know, mean a lot of different things for different people. But for me, like the, the, the thing that inspires me most is like, how can we help empower um, you know, we say on the back of our packaging, how we want to empower entrepreneurs, adventurers, and creators to do more with their time and talents. So how can we be that fuel that helps people move forward and, and, and reach a new milestone or a new achievement? Um, so when I get those messages from friends who are like, yeah, you know, I was, uh, I grabbed the extra weights or the heavier weights at, at the, at the gym, or I was having a slump in the afternoon and this helped me like, you know, get through the day. Like those are always pretty inspiring. And again, for me, like, like my, I, uh, I I guess my biggest change, like I left New York for a bit and and had then that was sort of sparked my the, the start of my health journey. But like a lot of it was like small changes that I made. There was nothing like I wasn't like, okay, I'm never eating sugar again or cutting gluten out completely. Like that I, I don't know if I could do that because of pizza. But um <laughs> maybe cauliflower pizza. But like it was a lot of small changes that added up to to a big impact. And I'm a big believer in that, that like we can figure out how to make small changes in our day-to-day -day lives that are achievable and doable and we can measure that, but that those things can add up to something bigger. You know, there's the quote of like, we overestimate what we can do. We, we what is it? We overestimate what we can achieve uh, in the course of a short period of time and underestimate what we can achieve in like a longer period of time. And I think that often, we try to think, we try to do too much at once. And I think it's actually something smaller and more gradual that's achievable um, and, and, you know, measuring that progress and, and tracking it, so. Yeah, I would love to. That's a really interesting concept that I think is kind of an interesting way to look at flight bars and the journey that you've been on with that idea. So I want to talk about that a little bit. But before we kind of dive into it, how like how long did it take to get flight bars realized from that moment where you had the idea to it being a tangible product that was live in the world? Yeah, so it was about a year from idea to launch. And so I'll take you through that. So November 2017 is when I started first working on it. That was the, you know, right after Thanksgiving, working on it with a food processor in my kitchen. 
And I kept playing around with it quite a bit for a couple of months. And then ultimately I um, found a co-packer, which is like for in the, in the food space, a co-packer is like a large scale manufacturer. I found one in April of 2018 and started working with them on the first flavor. So our first flavor is chocolate coffee. Um, it's delicious. <laughs> thank you. Uh, and um, I started working with them in April of 2018. And then we launched about eight months later uh, in December. Um, and, and that process of like, of building the product and refining it a bit and you go through sort of waves of prototypes and I'll say like this is what I want or like these are the sort of I was very keen on keeping the sugar as low as possible and we have we have half the sugar of a lot of the other leading all-natural bars we have the same amount of protein or more than a lot of those bars Um, our fiber levels are really high like there was I was very keen on keeping the nutritional label pretty strong as well as not using any artificial ingredients, not using any preservatives. And so you work back and forth with the, the, that team on, on the ingredients and the recipe mix and like the consistency. And, and um, so that took about eight months. Um, but yeah, we launched uh, in December 2018. Um, and that's when the website went live. The website went live and uh, literally that morning my computer crashed. And so that was a bit of a bummer. Uh, it's not a, not a safe landing on that one. But um, but. Uh, it, uh, it was good. It was a good reception and it was, it was, um, yeah, it went pretty well. Talk to me a little bit about like, where did you get the courage to launch into this from? Yeah. Well, I had no food background, uh, so that was definitely a complete, uh, shift for me. Um, uh, like honestly, I barely cook. So that was something that was just a little bit of a trial by fire, I think. But I think like starting something, um, starting like a, doing a new endeavor, I always find like the first time you do something is the toughest. And then when you once you do one thing, it's easier to do another thing and another thing. And so I had already started a business previously. So I knew I had some comfort level with starting a business and like going out on my own. I knew like, there, you know, of course it could always fail, but like, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really have that thought in my mind of like, I just like, just do it, like just get out and, and do it. And, um, I think like, I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs, like the first thing they do when they have an idea is they go and buy the domain name. And like, I have like my GoDaddy account is definitely like a graveyard of ideas that I never <laughs> pursued, but you know, you know, so you buy the domain name and then, you know, you buy the food processor, whatever it is. And you just try to find these little things you can do, like little steps you can take that then drives momentum to the next step. And each step gets bigger and bigger. And so I always say to like, when I'm talking to folks who are thinking about doing a startup or doing an, like an entrepreneurial endeavor, like just do the first thing and then it, you'll get a little bit more. Uh, momentum or a little bit more courage to take on the next thing. And so I think what's important is just to start doing something. Yeah. What about, I mean, it's hard to imagine in this conversation because you're so passionate about the idea and, you know, um, you've got a lot of, you feel, it feels like you have a lot of momentum, but times that you've thought about throwing in the towel and just wanting to give up. You know, there's, I don't know if I've never ever really gotten to the point of like fully giving up, but there are like crazy things you're doing. Like you're dropping off. Like uh, for a while I was like, and still even now, like I was like sort of a glorified delivery man. Like I would be walking around the city with like a bag of like little sample packs, dropping them off to like different influencers who like, it's crazy to me. Like influencers have been awesome to work with and like the content they create is great, but like they just like 
direct message their addresses. <laughs> and they're like, I'm like, this is, you know, we've never met. But anyway, um, but like <laughs> I'm walking around and like going to the post office. We have a distribution, I should say, we have a warehouse that ma- manages most of our shipping um, and a distribution team. But, you know, if I'm sending out something that I want a handwritten note in or something, I'm dropping these off. And there are moments where you're like, why? why am I doing this? And when you're the entrepreneur, you have to do everything. I mean, you're, you know, if you have a, a restaurant, you're cleaning the floors and you're washing the dishes. And so, um, none of those moments were like so rough or so bad. I was like, I don't think this is going to work out. I think, um, I did hear like in another podcast, a, a successful entrepreneur talk about how he, he's sort of felt like he heard from, I think one of his mentors that a company doesn't really die. The energy of the entrepreneur dies and that ultimately leads to the company failing. And so I think about that a lot and I think about, um, the importance of small wins and I think there's definitely a direct connection between the amount of energy that an entrepreneur has and the amount of wins that they're having. So if an entrepreneur has more energy that they're putting into the business, they're going to have more wins and the wins, you know, create uh, a moment, create more energy and excitement for the business. And that cycle, I think, is really important. And so I every time I get like a new customer, that's like a small win. Um, doing a cool podcast interview is a small win. Like there are you know things like that, you know, that throughout every every day, or every week you have to sort of celebrate. I think it's it's hard. Entrepreneurs have to have like um, every day could be sort of a roller coaster of highs and lows. And like, especially if you're an independent entrepreneur, um, like, you know, keeping that motivation, that self-motivation is important. If you're running a team, it's also important. Like you could be having a really bad day or the company could be having a bad day and like you have to keep the morale of the team really high. And so that's probably the greatest challenge for most entrepreneurs is just maintaining that emotional sort of middle ground of like celebrating the wins, but not getting too excited about them uh, because, you know, right around the corner, there's going to be some fire you're going to have to put out, but, you know, not being too down on things. It's just keeping that even keel is, is probably the biggest challenge I would say for most entrepreneurs. Um, I can't imagine that any startup is all smooth sailing. (laughs) Can you tell me about one of your big failures so far? Yeah. So our, our, probably our biggest failure, the very first batch that we had, we make, we started making our batches in about 5,000 bars. So we had quite a few of them. And, um, for the most part, they, like, if you order them and you got a box, it was pretty smooth sailing, but like a lot of people were getting the bars and they were very oily. So one way we, we keep the sugar really low because we use less raisins and dates and we use more of like an all natural almond butter as our main ingredient and almond butter. If you've had it, especially if you had an all natural version of it, it can get oily at the top. So we were sending out bars and I was sending out small packs of them um, to a lot of, you know, first time customers, we had sample packs, we had influencers that we were sending these bars out to, and I was sending them in like a flat envelope, uh, kind of like a padded envelope. And they were getting to people and they were so oily when they were arriving. I don't know, something with the packaging or the the heat that it was exposed to in the in the shipping. People were getting these bars and they were like incredibly oily and we got a lot of feedback and this was like your first impression. And um, I will say some people liked it. Some people were like, oh, other bars are so dry, but for the most part, they're far too oily. Um, that was mostly, I think, just that first batch that we had. Um, the second batch was much better. We actually refined in this most recent round that we did, we refined the makeup of the bars a little bit uh, to address that as well. But that was probably the worst uh, thing we had uh early on. So what's the big lesson that you've learned from those couple of stumbles? Um, I think uh, some of it is just preparing one, preparing as much as possible in advance. Um, um, And then again, just I think communication is so critical. Um, And we did as much as possible to communicate with the customer um, and say, let them know that we were trying to fix this issue. 
um, and, and, you know, ask for their continued involvement and ask them to be part of it as well, be part of the story. I think startups do have the, can have this, especially if it's like a small, um, organically growing startup, they do get a little bit of a grace period. It's almost like when you're a student and people are like, and you, you know, make mistakes at your internship and you're like, well, I'm just a student. Like, how did I know better? I'll, I'll be like, I'm just a startup and, you know, we're just getting off the ground. And so you do get in the first year or so, you do get a little bit of a grace period of customers being a little bit more, um, um, I think, uh, forgiving of, of mistakes you might make as long as, again, you're as transparent as possible with them. And you, again, go out of your way to, to try to make up for it. Um, What's the best advice you've been given on this journey? Um, it wasn't necessarily to me specifically, we went to an event with Mickey Drexler, um, uh, uh, someone who's been a leader in retail for a long time with Gap and J Crew and now Outdoor Voices. And he talked a lot about owning that customer relationship and that sort of always stuck with me. Um, he was on the board of Apple and I think Apple, you know, direct to consumer obviously is that the, the hot term right now. Um, but Apple early on was uh, understood the value of that direct consumer relationship when they built the retail stores. They wanted to control the whole experience for the customer. And I think you just have seen that brand do such a great job of just owning the entire experience that the customer has with the with with the brand. Um, and so, you know, I think that was an important, interesting tidbit from Mickey, which was, you know, own that customer relationship as much as possible and, and, and invest in making sure that it is... Um, is uh, a pleasant experience. So a little bit of crystal ball gazing, where do you see both yourself and the idea in five years? Yeah, so I plan to still be working on Flight Bar and building it out. Um, uh, in five years, we'll definitely have more products uh, all across sort of the functional food space, um, keeping it, again, an all-natural, uh, vegan, um, plant-based. I think you're seeing a lot of movement into the plant-based space because it's good for business, but it's also good for the environment. It's good for people, uh, for the end, end consumer. And so I, I'll want to continue to build out product within the plant-based space. And then focusing a lot of more resources on the other components I mentioned, the, the, the content side and the community side, because I do think that brands have to be more than just a product at this point. They have to think about the whole sort of how they, the different touch points they have with the consumer, how they can create more value for the consumer. Because at this point, a customer is like, just has a, a incredible range of choices and options that they can they can make when they go to a store. And I see it, I go, I walk down the protein bar uh, aisle at different, you know, at Whole Foods and it's pretty full. And it's so, an aisle. Yeah, it's an aisle. The only aisle that seems bigger than that is the yogurt aisle. It's amazing to me how many different <laughs> kinds of yogurt there is in the market right now. But, um, but so you can't just be a protein bar. You guys actually said when we did our uh, chat a while back, I remember you said something like, if you just focus on the features, it's not going to work because, you know, any, any, another brand can come out and come out with basically the same ingredients and have the same features. Like you do have to be much more than just a product with some cool features at this point. You have to have like a real attachment with a customer and build that attachment. And I think the ways to do that are to offer some of these experiences or these other sort of content um, components that add to the customer's life and, and help them be a better, uh, better, whatever they're trying to achieve in their life, like you help them achieve that. All right. Thanks for that, Holly. Now, when it comes to a brand, I couldn't agree more about the value of a customer relationship and the user experience. What's your biggest takeaway coming off this discussion? Honestly, his passion for the DTC model and only every touch point really struck a chord. Um, we talk about brand experience a lot with clients these days, and the reality is that most brands compete on it, but many, many brands aren't doing very well at all. Um, and 
knowing that our new world competes on this, seeing an entrant um, like Flight Bars be so laser focused on this was um, really struck a chord. Hmm. And now where can we get Flight Bars? You can check out their website, fltbar.com, where you can place a one-time order or start a subscription for the Coffee Chocolate Flight Bar. I've got to say, they're delicious. All right. Thanks, Holly. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Grey Matter. For more from founders, creators, and inventors and how they thought up their ideas, be sure to subscribe to Grey Matter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate and review and tell your friends. Follow Grey's social pages for more information about Grey and new upcoming podcast episodes. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Grey Matter. Grey Matter is hosted by John Petrulis, produced by Graham Nolan, Christina Torres, and Joey Scarillo. Mixed at Townhouse Studios. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.